0: Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Today's guest, author and advisor Mark Turson, led sustainability at Goldman Sachs before leaving to run the large nonprofit, The Nature Conservancy. He'll share lessons learned. He'll also reveal insights about his superpower, harnessing value from colleagues and teams. Mark, thanks for coming back. It's good to have you back on the show. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Devin. It's nice to be here.
0: Mark, you've been a great influence on me. Uh, I've had well over a thousand guests, and uh, you are one of those that I am frequently harking back to uh, about lessons learned, the, the example you set, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one of the things that I loved about you, is uh, continue to love about you, is your book, uh, Nature's Fortune. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book. I don't want to mess it up, but let, let me just say I loved it. Tell, tell us a little bit about that book, because I think it's well, a seminal seminal work.
1: Thank you very much, Devin. My book is called Nature's Fortune. The subtitle is How Business and Society Thrive by Investing in Nature. The backdrop is I had been a banker, as you know, at Goldman Sachs for 24 years and then it's a bit of a long story. At the end of my career, Hank Paulson asked me to start the firm's first environmental effort. That was in 2005. At the time, that was a pretty avant-garde idea that Hank had. Today, it's commonplace. I did that for a few years. I really enjoyed it and learned a lot. And from there, it's another long story. And I was really fortunate. Uh, I managed to become the CEO of The Nature Conservancy, the Nature, the great Nature Conservancy, the one of the world's great nonprofits, the biggest environmental nonprofit. So um, I show up at the Nature Conservancy. One of the reasons I was so excited to work there is it looked to me from the outside kind of like the Goldman Sachs for nature. Of course, we never described ourselves that way. That wouldn't have been popular. But it was an organization. By by that, I mean it was an organization of entrepreneurial people who were collaborative and tried to make deals happen, all with the goal of protecting nature. So it reminded me of, of an investment bank, if you will. So then I show up at the Nature Conservancy and like, what are we, what, what new initiatives would I be in favor of? And the Nature Conservancy and others already had a program of investing in nature, investing in natural capital or also called green infrastructure. And you can think of green infrastructure as nature's alternative to gray, man-made infrastructure. And, you know, what does this natural capital do for us? Everything important. Clean air to breathe, a stable climate we can live in, good food, healthy water, recreational areas, habitat for biodiversity, and on and on and on. And um, and so naturally, or not surprisingly, as a former investment banker, I like this idea. If we talk about nature as an investment opportunity, that ought to provide us ways to raise capital. It ought to provide us some clever ideas on how to, you know, organize deals creatively partner with some unusual partners in the private sector or you name it. So those themes excited me. It had a very uh, solid, by the way, academic and scientific backing, this area of focus. So I went out there. A lot of the projects I worked on at TNC were in this area. A lot of the talks I gave were in this area. A lot of the fundraising pitches I made were in this area. And as I was doing all that work, I was writing a blog because I wanted my new colleagues to know what I was doing. It also was a good way for me to keep my own ideas sharp. And then I had this notion, hey, this could be a book. Um, And I was right. Um, Everything lined up. My background as an investment banker was appropriate. My job as CEO of TNC was appropriate to the topic of the book. It covered a lot of the work we were doing at The Nature Conservancy. The world, uh, there had been other books like this, but they were a little more academic. This was a book that could make it easier for donors or business partners to understand these concepts. So everything lined up. I was really fortunate in that respect. I had a great co-author, Jonathan Adams, and we wrote the book and um, it was pretty easy to write because these were things that we're talking about and doing. The timing was good and it resonated. It was translated into a bunch of languages. It was a good platform for me to kind of proselytize on these topics. So for me, it was really a positive experience. Twice since then, I've tried to write another book, and I said, oh, things aren't lining up quite as fortuitously, so those projects are on hold. But I loved writing my book. It really meant a lot to me. A lot of people have read it, and um, the whole thing was a positive experience. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Well, it it is a phenomenal book. I I apologize, but there was one story in that book that I just... Uh, loved, and I'll let you tell it. But let me just prompt you with uh, the the water bottle story. Do you, Do you remember that story from the book? Am I remembering right? I think so. Yeah, you
1: are remembering it right. So the uh, yeah the idea here is to protect watersheds. So watersheds need to be protected all around the world, both as a source of clean water and as a source for a quantity of water. And it turns out, so there are different things you can do, right, to obtain clean water. You can build a plant to clean water that has become dirty and made it clean again. But we wanted to borrow from New York City's playbook. New York really did this before TNC, but New York City, uh, a couple of decades ago, rather than build a big filtration plant to clean their water, instead they spent a huge amount of money upstream in the Catskills protecting beautiful areas. Uh, But although they spent a lot of money as conservationists, they saved money. It costs less than building the plant. They obtained their famous, delicious water. People still love New York City's water. And instead of investing in a big plant to clean water, they invested in upstream conservation. And so you have beautiful outdoor areas there. So, of course, as the CEO of TNC, I said, that's a strategy I like. We save money. We obtain practical benefits. We accelerate and scale conservation. So then the next wrinkle in the story is, well, who might we persuade to champion such projects? One of the first players was Coca-Cola. Coke does business everywhere, of course, and they were doing business in Kerala, India. India had a local water problem. I don't think Coke really had any significant responsibility for this problem, but it was easy to blame Coke. They had a big plant there. Coke knew, not good for our business to be considered a water bad guy. And, um, and we helped them understand for pretty modest philanthropic support, we could create a so-called water fund where you you, use, you you raise money from downstream water users to pay for upstream conservation. And TNC really ran with that idea and replicated it all over the world. We got Pepsi to also do that. Anheuser, the beer company, also is doing it. But it really is one of these win-wins. I mean, not all the environmental problems can be solved this way, but everybody wins. You spend less money. You get the clean water you need and the quantity you need. Good things happen upstream, not just for nature, but for local communities. And so what a great way to get people excited about investing in nature. Yeah, I I love it. I
0: love it. Um, Mark, you have since departed uh, the, the Nature Conservancy. You're doing some consulting. You're writing on Substack. Tell us a little bit about what's going on right now in your world.
1: Yeah, when I, I, I had a great experience at TNC, uh, I was the CEO for 11 years. Uh, I'm really proud of what the team accomplished in those 11 years. Of course, it's a team effort. I was the CEO, but um, we had a heck of a team. And the team was not only the 4,000 great people who worked at TNC all over the world, but our, our volunteers, our partners, our supporters. It was really fun. But 11 years was, was a long enough run. So I stepped down. It's, it was a tough and demanding job. And I said, okay, now what should I do? Um, And I said, okay, I want to remain focused on addressing environmental challenges. And what what might my value add be? I said, I'll try to draw on my two major experiences, 24 years at Goldman Sachs, including some as a pretty senior person at Goldman Sachs, 11 years running TNC. And then especially, this is over the past two years, it's encouraging to see so many private sector players trying to meaningfully step up their commitments to doing good for the environment, but in ways that make business sense. So I said, I'll see if I can be kind of a champion of that kind of activity. So that's what I'm doing. I call myself an advisor to uh, companies, investment funds, startups, also NGOs. I think I can help NGOs, too. And, you know, it's not like I'm some sort of genius or some brilliant person, but because of my experience and hustle, I think I can I can help. And it's really been fun for me. My timing has really been good. I've been doing this kind of stuff for more than 15 years. You know, a long time ago it was harder, but this is good news. The world faces some very daunting challenges in the environmental area, also in other social sectors. And I, for one, think it's really good that the private sector is stepping up. You know, there's there's some cynicism about that, and it's good to keep a good eye, close eye on private sector players. They're not all good. Um, but I think more and more often what business people are realizing is figuring out how a company can do the right thing for the environment is a pretty good way to also likely uh, ensure you get really good outcomes for your business, for your shareholders, for all your other stakeholders. So that's what I'm trying to do right now. It's, it's fun. It's exciting work. It's hard. I'm learning a lot. And then, yeah, I write out a newsletter every two weeks on Substack uh, called The Instigator, And uh, what I do is I write about the work I'm doing, and I call it the instigator because, again, I'm just one person, but I'm trying to instigate more of this positive uh, activity. And I think most of this stuff is in the category of win-win. I don't want to be Pollyannish about it. Uh, We face daunting challenges. And even more important than these voluntary uh, initiatives by the private sector, we need better public policy. We have a long way to go. So. No Pollyannas, no Pollyannishism here. But but I think the private sector can make a very big difference, and I, I'm doing everything I can to help.
0: Well, uh, it's it's tremendous. I love your newsletter. I encourage everyone who's tuning in; that most are are my Substack uh, subscribers, so it's easy to just add a Mark Tursick instigator uh, subscription. I'll be sure to include a link in the in the story Thanks, that goes with this podcast. But uh, Uh, you you know, you're doing amazing, amazing work. And and it's interesting how uh, you've been able to build on your experience at Goldman Sachs. And, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a a key point. I want to make sure we drive home. It's, it's implied when you talk about your personal relationship with Hank Paulson, but you were a big deal at Goldman Sachs. Um, You were a key player there. You had a critical role, especially at the end of your career. Uh, uh, Tell us a little bit about how that Goldman Sachs uh, foundation has played into your ability to be effective at TNC and now as an advisor.
1: Well, um, yeah, it brings back good memories to think about my time at Goldman Sachs. You know, it was a long time ago. I joined the firm in 1984. It was a small private firm at the time. Uh, I was very fortunate to get a job there. And the reason I wanted to work there is it, it looked to me like the people were good, down to earth, hardworking, smart people from whom I could learn to lot. learn a lot. And that was true. And I know Wall Street firms, you know, not everybody likes them. And of course, in the financial crisis, there was responsibility, uh, you know, by the Wall Street firms. But for my 24 years at the firm, I think I worked with honorable people, my colleagues, for honorable clients, trying to do important and positive things for society. Again, did we get everything right? Of course not. That's how not how the world works. But, but I really feel like I learned a lot. I was very fortunate to work with some really good people while I was there. And then how did we work? I don't know if this has changed, but when I was there first, we worked very hard. We knew we were fortunate to be there. There was like, we were, everybody who worked at Goldman Sachs with me knew we were fortunate to be part of that team. We didn't take it lightly. Mm-hmm we hustled. Um, And how did we work? We collaborated. I remember a funny story. Uh, In my very early days, I was working on a project whereby a big conglomerate uh, was under some pressure from a raider. You'll remember corporate raiders. And the question was, well, what is the company really worth? So we had to figure out what all the different divisions might be sold for in the merger market or how they might be valued in the public market. The latter is a pretty straightforward exercise. But what would these divisions sell for if we sold them individually as, as merger, you know, in the private merger market? I was a brand new rookie, and so I did my work. Of course, I crunched all the numbers, I looked at the comparable deals, and then I was advised by my colleagues. Listen, you we don't care that much about your conclusion. You're brand new. Find out, find all the senior people at the firm who have worked on related deals and ask them what they think. And so I said, OK, I'll do that. So it was more work to do. It was fun because I got to reach out to these senior people. It was a collaborative firm. They didn't blow me off. They took my call. I said, look, here's the project. This is the company. I understand you worked on this other deal. What do you th- How do you think this one might trade? It? I learned a lot. So then I had to report back to a very senior partner, uh, kind of a famous person on Wall Street, on you know, the, the results of my work. And he's grilling me. That was the, the nature of the firm. Polite but tough, grilling me, you know, did I really did I really run all the traps? So I'm sharing with him conclusions on what I learned about what these companies might be worth in the merger market. And he starts saying, Did you ask, you know, Mr. X? Did you ask Miss Y? Naming partners at the firm. And I'm thinking, oh good. I did ask these people. I say, yes, I asked this person. I I talked to this person. This is what they said. Then he said, Did you ask Mr. A? Did you ask Mr. B? And These were names I wasn't familiar with. And so I said, oh, shoot, I screwed up. So I said, no, I didn't ask them. Who are they? It turned out they were retired partners from Goldman Sachs. But the zealousness of the team in terms of chasing things down presumed I not only would check with my colleagues, I'd even check with recently retired colleagues. Now, as the firm grew, you probably couldn't scale that kind of intense collaboration. But the moral of the story was, you know, Mark, you're a fine person on this team. And the other people on the team are more experienced and, and they know even more than you. But when the client hired us, they wanted the the Goldman Sachs' best thinking. So we went beyond the team and basically turned over every stone and trying to get the right answer. And that kind of thoroughness and collaboration and asking for help, those are I think are things I learned at Goldman Sachs. Again. It wasn't a question so much of how smart are you and what did you come up on your, with on your own? It was rather, did you do everything you could do to make sure we had the most thoughtful uh, advice possible for our client? And, and I really love that part of working at Goldman Sachs. So it required two things of people. One, to go out and ask for the help. But two, of course, especially when you were a more experienced person, when young people came asking for help, you were expected to take those calls and help. So I think we had a, a kind of unusual, but really valuable spirit of collaboration and helping, which distinguished the firm and one was one reason I think we were successful.
0: As you think now about your experience at TNC especially, but elsewhere since, how, has, how have you applied those lessons about collaboration and, and uh, thoroughness to your subsequent work?
1: Yeah, I mean, I sure don't want it to sound like I'm bragging. Um, I think when I arrived at TNC and for the entire time I was at TNC, I'm sure some of my colleagues were thinking, gosh, this guy has a lot to learn. That was always true. But I think to my credit, I knew that. I knew I had a lot to learn. So just like that story I told you about when I was a rookie at Goldman Sachs, I really liked asking colleagues what they thought and trying to get advice from our best thinkers on different projects and I tried I tried my best to get the organization, 4,000 people all around the world, to always be helping one another so we'd be bringing TNC's best thinking to any particular challenge, uh, just like um, I was trained to do at Goldman Sachs. Uh, I think that helped me. And then I'm a person, I do enjoy getting to know different types of people. I'm a little bit shy, so it's not like I'm Mr. Extrovert. But when I get to know, I like spending time with people who aren't like me. And, and, and so at The Nature Conservancy, I was, I was interested in opportunities to work with um, you know surprising partners. In the book, I also wrote about TNC's work with Dow Chemical. Today, nobody would think that is very unconventional. Uh, NGOs and, and, and uh, companies with big environmental footprints collaborated a lot. But when Andrew Liveris, the CEO of Dow, and I announced that project, it generated a lot of uh, negative feedback, some quite vociferous, like, why, "Why? how dare you, including from TNC colleagues and supporters, how dare you? Uh, Mighty TNC should not work with a, a company with a historical record like Dow. And of course, the reason I wanted to work with Dow is, yeah, it was true. They had a, a big footprint. And if we could shift that direction, that could be powerful. I thought it could provide lessons for other uh, companies. What we did, Andrew, the CEO, Andrew Livers and I both agreed. What we did in the response to that criticism, we said, look, we're going to be completely transparent about everything. And by the way, critics, if you see something we should be doing better or have some ideas that we didn't think of, by all means, tell us. You know, we don't want to (laughs) unknowingly do this project badly. We want to succeed. In fact, we want the same outcomes you want, better environmental outcomes. I think there's a lesson there too. So if you, if you I always tell people, if you run into a critic, before you get upset with the critic, see whether there's some common ground and the critic might very well be able to help you do your job better. And um, that's that kind of, that kind of criticism scrutiny is, 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 was really helpful to me at TNC broadly. And, and I think is helpful in general.
0: Yeah, it, it, it really is. That is such an important lesson. Uh, and as I experienced a little of that in my uh, attempt at politics, uh, I think it's a really profound and important lesson for people to take away uh, from this conversation. Uh, Mark, you've been extraordinarily successful uh, in your career and at making a difference in preserving the... Uh, you know, the environment and fighting climate change. As you think about and reflect on the impact you've had, the good you've done, what do you see as being your superpower?
1: Well, uh, I'm hesitant to use the word superpower. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the stuff I've been able to accomplish. It's all been done with great teams at great organizations by and large. So there was always a team effort behind it. And so perhaps the the smartest answer and the most honest one would be, I think I've done a pretty good job of um, harnessing what my colleagues and my teams can do to uh, ensure the best outcome. And I probably did learn that in my rookie days at Goldman Sachs. I want to add, though, that uh, I don't always get it right. You know, at the Nature Conservancy, um, one of my friends is Marshall Goldsmith. He's a kind of famous, famous executive coach he he was not my executive coach, but he helped me in connection with some Goldman Sachs projects and, and, and situations. And we stayed in close touch. And, and we were talking once when I worked at TNC and he, he sensed that I was having some challenges and I was, it was a hard job uh, of course. And so he volunteered to do some pro bono coaching for me. And so he went out and spoke with all my direct reports and my board members and then, of course, I mean, no surprise, he came back and said, well, Mark, it's true, you're doing some things well. Um, but in other ways, you know, you're kind of being a jerk. And, um, and one, of, one of the things he helped me understand, even though I think I am a person who knows how to harness the ability of a team, I'm not always a person who listens well. And so Marshall and I agreed that I would try very hard and diligently to listen better and part of the drill was I had to go back to all the people he met with and say, thank you for your input, and I'm going to try to listen better because I wanted them to hold me accountable, and I improved. So that part of the story is good. But, but there are a lot of instances where I, I look back and I say, boy, I could have listened even better. In particular, and this maybe this will be useful for listeners, uh, where in hindsight, I wish I had listened even better, and I'll try to do this going forward in any comparable circumstance is I wish I had made it easier for people who really disagreed with something I was doing or the organization was doing, but who for whom it was difficult to speak to me about that. And it's easy to imagine, right? Maybe you're a, a shyer or quieter person, or maybe you're kind of at a low level in the organization. It's not easy to have access to the CEO, et cetera. Looking back, I think I missed some valuable input, therefore. And so... Um, I would say superpower, I think I'm pretty good with my teams, area for improvement, listen better, and in particular, make a real effort so that it will be easy for people who strongly disagree. They may or may not be right, but you should make it easy for them to be heard. And I don't think that's easy. I think it takes some real extra effort and you know intention. That's
0: uh, really an interesting thing uh, to, to think about. I, I, I want to I'm intrigued by the whole listening and uh, uh, discussion, but I want to focus uh, uh, on the positive, on your strength. And I think that the counsel you've given us on on listening is just incredibly important. But I don't want to skip over the fact that that what you've been able to learn to do, you, you attribute it in part to your Goldman Sachs experience in harnessing the power of a team how has that translated into positive outcomes at the Nature Conservancy, even at at Goldman Sachs, especially in your environmental work there and and since?
1: Even um, like the things that personally I'm very proud of that we did as a team when I was at the Nature Conservancy, like NatureVest, we created this very innovative unit. To um raise capital from investors to lever up the donor capital that TNC had. It's right out of the Finance 101 playbook. It's it may sound obvious, but it's actually an extraordinary thing for a nonprofit to do. And I still don't think any other nonprofit has, has done it as successfully as TNC continues to do it. So and we got a lot of we got some tremendous transactions done that way. We did a deal um we bought a couple, like almost $400 million of really precious land in Montana and Washington. We were the only conservation buyer, but $400 million, even for Mighty TNC, that's a lot of money. Like $400 million of philanthropy. you got to be kidding me. How are we going to do that? But we had to do the project. And so through the NatureVest effort, we raised 90% of that funding as senior debt, in this case with a 0% interest rate, obviously from a, an aligned party. We raised 5% of subordinated debt at a very low interest rate, 5% firm donors. So if I were pitching you, I could say, Devin, for every $5 you donate to this project, it will be levered up with $95 of low cost capital. Or another way to think about it is we did an LBO for nature. Like it's a cool <laughs> idea. We were private equity uh, tycoons in behalf of nature. That's the kind of stuff NatureVest did. So I'm really proud of it. The reason I tell you the story, though, is the idea for NatureVest wasn't really my idea. Um, I had colleagues who wanted to do stuff like this. I had donors. Um, I had board members. And, of course, we didn't, it didn't come like a lightning bolt either. We did some intermediary steps. Like when we first started talking about this, I had the idea of why don't we have like a money market fund instrument where we'll tell our, our supporters, hey, instead of buying a money market fund, buy, we call them conservation notes. Instead, park your money with TNC. We're a good credit. And if you would, give us a little break on the interest rate. So we raised a lot of money. It was pretty innovative. We raised a lot of money and and you could do one, three or five year terms. Most people chose one year, just like you would with your money market fund. And so we raised this money. And Then our, our, our CFO said to me and others said to me, Mark, congratulations on your clever little idea, but we don't need one year money. We need money for long life projects. So it wasn't quite right. It was a good start. And we had other things like that. So, um, but I, I would then say, well, what did I do? So lots of people, I had another board member said, Mark, you're sort of, why aren't you doing more in this area of impact investing? I kind of didn't fully get the whole idea. So different people had input like this. I was the CEO. I think to my credit, I said, yes, let's go for this. Then you harness those different people on the team and you make it happen. And probably some people think life's unfair because then I was the CEO I was named the board chair of NatureVest. I I hope not, but maybe some of those people on that team say, hey, how come that guy gets all the credit? I mean, that's a little bit of the way organizational life goes some time, but anything that happened at TNC while I was the boss, and if it looks like I got the credit, I promise you there was a team behind it. I think some people are a little bit too hung up on showing how smart they are. And um, therefore, they're less interested in those other people's very good ideas. They want to do it their way, too much, to too, too great of a degree. It's probably true, truer for them, that they deserve more of the credit. They did it more their way. I think it's more likely truer in my case that we did it in a better way because I was okay ego-wise for sure, letting everybody have all that input. Um, I was eager to have it. So, you know, it takes a kind of a humbleness, I guess. I don't know if people would call me humble, but I can't emphasize how much, how important this team stuff is. Now, if you think about all the really complicated challenges we face today in the public sector and private sector stuff, the kind of work I do, it's all so complicated. Nobody can figure this out on their own. You need, you need teams and you need diverse teams. Like Larry Fink at BlackRock is one of my heroes. He's a friend of mine. But I know him because of his work. He's been a great champion of impact investing. He's the biggest institutional fund manager in the world. He's really used his bully pulpit to push investors to think harder about addressing environmental challenges. And, you know, with that comes a lot of flack. And he seems to shrug the flack off. Good for him because he's making people think hard about new stuff but he doesn't do it all by himself. He gets it. That's how I got to know him. He met me and he said, Hey, maybe you'll have some good ideas and your organization will have good ideas for me. And wow, does he hustle. He's out there dinners every night talking to people. And he's another person who I think understands. He's a very intelligent man, of course, but I think he understands to do important things. You need to harness diverse people's input, on a team-like basis. So that's the kind of point I'm trying to make.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's profound. So you, you developed this skill in part at Goldman Sachs and you shared with us kind of how that learning experience happened as you were reaching out, you challenged to reach out to your colleagues and ultimately to former colleagues. Um, how would you encourage other people to develop this skill i won't say younger people because some of the people that want to develop this ability are older than you uh you know they they still want to master the you know be like mark principles uh in their life career to have more impact what what's the what's the i
1: think i think the the application is is well suited you're right not just for young people but for older people and indeed i hope if there are are more experienced folks on listening to this conversation. They can definitely do the kinds of things I've done, made these transitions. I'm not really that special. Maybe I've had a lot of good fortune, but I'm not really that special. and, And I think for younger people, it's a little bit easier to ask for help. You know, there's less ego. Of course you need help. You're young. You're a rookie. It's not as easy as you get older. And I think this is a mistake that older people make. And I make it too. That's why I know this but you've got to let go of that ego. So in my current work, so, I mean, I was doing similar work when I was at TNC, but I had 4,000 people who worked for me at TNC. I could get a lot of great help. Now I'm more on my own, but I still need help. So uh, the people don't work for me. So I have to go out there and I have to reach out for help. And it always warms my heart. People help. They they help me be more successful and get stuff done. And then, of course, it's a two-way street I need to remember that and remind myself because then when people come for me, hey, Mark, can you help? I've got to do my best to to pay it forward. But that kind of back and forth can really unlock uh, opportunities. And for older people who want their second or third career to be a different kind of career and maybe where they give back more, I think that will likely be an important ingredient. So please don't be afraid to ask for help it's a kind of joyous thing. People help you. You make new friends. You get the chance to help back. It enriches your life in addition to making you more successful.
0: Now, that's, uh, that, that is really helpful, really helpful.
1: I have a uh, good story about that. Can I tell you Please, Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, share the story. This,
1: this I'd yeah. love to tell this story. Um, one of my duties, of course, at TNC was, of course, to be attentive to and get to know our, our volunteers and our, our donors and supporters. And at TNC, a lot of them are senior people. Um, And so for the first time in my life, really, apart from relatives, I had a lot of friends who were in their 80s, even their late 80s. And often these events would be organized on like social bases, dinners or receptions. And my wife, Amy, would go to them with me. It was really fun for both of us. And Amy and I noted on our way home from these events, we would often say to one another, you know, uh, Frank there, even though he's a pretty old person, like think late 80s. He's one of the most youthful people we know, energetic, interested in others. The reason, I think, is he, he and others like him, they found the secret of a long, joyous, happy life. Find a cause that you care about and get to know people who can help you make a difference in that cause. So some of these people, uh, they wanted to be important in the environmental space in whatever the way they could. Uh, that required them to spend time with younger people, to ask for help. To stay highly engaged, and by the way, when you're doing that kind of stuff, you quit worrying about yourself so much. You're worrying about something bigger and more important. And and these people, they're happy, they're engaged, they're having, they're living great lives. I don't see why anyone can't choose to do that.
0: Wow, oh, that's it's brilliant, brilliant, uh, I, profound story to end on, uh, Mark. Before we go would you take just a minute and share with the audience how you how people can connect with you so so maybe it's social media maybe it's email maybe it's a phone number you tell you tell folks what's the best yeah. way to, to to connect
1: the best way for people to reach me is um, I have a website marktercic.com. com uh, it's not intended to be like showing off or anything but it shares with people. Like I'll put this podcast on it. So if people are curious what I'm doing, all that information's there. And my newsletter is there. You can access it there. The Substack link is there. Or you can just do it directly at Substack. And then through Substack, you can correspond with me. Or you can send me an email at marktursic.org. Sorry, the email has a different... Uh, so my website's marktursic.com. My email is marktursic.org. Sometimes, because of the work I'm doing... I can't I find it hard to promptly keep up with everything so please be patient with me. I also have discovered that LinkedIn is a really great social media site. I was one of those people who spent a lot of time on Twitter. I think Twitter can be useful. It does have though a real edge to it which sometimes can discourage you. I find LinkedIn to be a really a, a very positive place to exchange ideas on substantive things so I'm I'm happy to recommend LinkedIn to everyone. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and you can reach me there too. And I post my newsletters there, but I, I post other stuff there too. I'll also though, I want to emphasize, I learn a lot, uh, on LinkedIn and I've made some very good friends. It's interesting back to asking for people's help, et cetera. I've made some very good friends through LinkedIn. So it's, it's pretty cool. Excellent.
0: That's a, it's a great endorsement, um, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I, I really appreciate it. You're doing extraordinary work, and we wish you every success in continuing to help business become more environmentally sound, more environmentally good, uh, because, boy, the world needs, needs that to happen. So thank you for that. and We wish you success at it.
1: Thank you, Devin. Thanks for doing this podcast and your newsletter and all your great work, too. It's very inspiring. And, and thanks to your followers who listen today. It's It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thank you very all much.
0: Right. All right. Thanks, Mark. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers, don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devinthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.